Hey there, welcome back to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. I'm the boy Bay. And I'm Kirsten Michelle Sills, and we're your hosts. And today we're looking at a big, big, big topic, identity. We are going to take a look at how our senses of who we are can impact our mental health and vice versa. Later, we'll be chatting with Grace Malloy, a licensed clinical social worker whose practice focuses on mental health services specifically for the LGBTQ plus community. But first, we're joined by photojournalist Octavio Jones to talk about his work that investigates this topic within the Black community. I guess we should tackle the whole idea of identity first. Yeah, Bay. quick question, really low stakes question. Who are you? Uh, I'm an incredible hip hop artist from the the dopest city on planet Earth, mm. Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that is exactly who you are. And Kirsten, who are you? Who am I? I am Kirsten Michelle Sills. I'm a stand-up comic. I am a queer woman. I am a birds fan. I am oh God. Who am I, Bay? Who am I? <laughs> you tell me who I am. No, that's how it happens. I mean, after a while, you just have a little identity crisis. I'm like, yeah. I'm this, I'm this. And then you're like, what am I? You're like, I don't know anything for sure other than Go Birds. Well, now that we've sorted ourselves out, let's welcome our first guest, Octavio Jones. Octavio Jones, can you introduce yourself and what you do? I'm Octavia Jones. I am a freelance or independent visual photographer or visual journalist based here in Tampa, Florida. I've come from a background of 15 years of journalism, back to newspaper print experience. Now I delve in the world of being an independent photographer, you know, still covering news, but also some commercial and which encompasses all editorial work at this time. Wow, that's wow. amazing. That's awesome. Well, it's wonderful to meet you. I'm Kirsten, and this is my co-host. Yes, my name is The Bull Bay. You could just call me Bay. It's great to have you today. My first question for you is, what drove you to pursue this career? How did you get into this? I was talking back to my, uh, my cubicle days of being an HR benefits enrollment specialist. I was still confused, like, what I want to do. And, you know, even after doing college, I really kind of just picked any major. And I was <laughs> like, hey, let me just major in business administration, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love journalism during that time. And I wanted to see what photography was all about. And I just happened to come across a few websites that kind of specialize with these photographers that work for, like, agencies like Magnum and Seven. I looked at the AP and seen all these wonderful, like, websites where we saw this incredible work. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to do that, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> And I was like, hey, let me try this photojournalism thing, right? I didn't really have any idea. I bought this N90 Nikon film camera and I approached a couple of weekly newspapers that actually, I just kind of told them, hey, I think I want to be a photojournalist. Can you please (laughs) let me take a weekly paper? Of course, they said, you know, they have any experience. So they was like, well, we can't pay you. And I said, that's fine. Mind you, I still had the HR job, right? So at least I had something to pay the bills with, Mm -hmm. right? So... I think I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, kind of being on assignment, even though it's a weekly paper, but it gave me sort of like an introduction of what the career can be, right? Yeah, so, I gotta cool. say, I love, so Bay and I are both artists in Philly. I'm a stand-up comic professionally, Bay's a rapper. Yeah. So I love any story that starts with, I was sitting in my cubicle and then cut to, now yeah. I'm an artist. Yeah, <laughs> I love those stories. Um, so our season, this is our third season of the So Curious podcast. 
This season's theme is all about mental health. And I know that your work features the American narrative, right, highlighting human challenges that we have, like racial tension, poverty, overall struggle, things that are pretty uniquely American in this country. Can you speak to those themes? Like, why is it so important for you personally to be documenting people's journeys? Because I believe that everyone has a story, right? And um, when I go out and tell these stories, I try to latch on what is a common thread here when I, when I talk to the subject, right? And I try to go in those inner thoughts of being the, of the subject who's talking to me and just kind of tell their story. And I think that's so important. It's one of the things I'm very passionate about because I love people, but also understanding the five W's, who, what, where, when, and why, how'd you get in this situation, you know? Where were some of the pitfalls that we, we all have in life, right? And I always try to approach that with an open eye, with an open view, of course, very non-judgmental, right? We kind of prejudge a lot about someone's character. But once you start talking with them, you'd be amazed with their backstory. So I think that's my approach. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think sometimes it's an incomplete narrative. And so when you go into it with a little bit of an open perspective, you get to have a larger story be told. And Octavia, I wanted to ask you, you published a piece for uh, WUSF Public Media called Two Black Men Share Their Journeys with Mental Health. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us about that piece that you worked on? So I had this discussion with uh, Mary Shedden, who's the news director at WUSF. And she told me that, hey, we want to work on black mental health. And we have mutual friends in the Tampa Bay area that the counselors, a friend of mine, um, Shanice Morgan, she went off and got certified in some in mental health counseling in some areas because of her brother, right? And her brother, you know, who's going through something, had some mental health things that he was dealing with. So that inspired her. So Janice was part of this project. And a couple other people who who knew of other folks who they've had their own personal stories that deal with either friends or family. And my journey here in the Tampa area, just like I'm sure in Philadelphia too, when I see, you know, in the street, either dealing with something, either those who may have some serious mental health issues, either kind of talking to themselves of like, sometimes I can be walking down not even two blocks from me and say, why is his brother, you know, why is he here on the corner? Why is he dealing mm-hmm. with this? You know, is he, is he getting help? So you have all these questions, right? And also not even that, some things that are seen, but also those issues that are not visible as well, that some of us we may deal with internally. And that's what's to kind of draw me to that. And when Mary says, hey, I'd love you to kind of take charge of this, you know, tell the black man's perspective and deal with mental health. I mean, that, and that's a wide range of things. That's right? a so, heavy undertaking. That's right. a heavy undertaking. Yeah. So I want to ask, what are some ways, in your opinion, that the media can convey more positive, more impactful messaging around men's mental health and specifically black men's mental health? I think the understanding of our past, too, because some of it is people talk about generational trauma, right? You know, we had this conversation before amongst our friends, other folks who deal with history. Is now we're starting to learn about generational trauma, even through, you know, being enslaved Africans, right? Or what happened, the impact of slavery, how that the conditioning of African-Americans post-slavery, you know, we're starting to learn some of that behavior, some things that are taught, some things that are also just kind of taboo culturally. And then speaking of mental health. I remember just even 10 years ago or maybe years past, if you talk about mental health, especially within our families or within the church, you know, the first thing we will say, is, oh, we're going to pray about it. So now, because we have done this piece, right, we've interviewed a couple of pastors who are now encouraging those who may need not only just to seek the pastor or a minister for counseling, but also seeking outside professional help. And I think that's something encouraging trends you're starting to see 
within our community. Octavia, I want to ask, a lot of your work on this topic involves going into communities and speaking directly to Black men about their experiences around mental health. If you feel comfortable, could you share with us some of the stories that you've heard? Yeah, even just photographing Harold and him just kind of sharing the story. And when Harold says his grandmother was the matriarch of the family and how devastated he was, you know, the loneliness impacts when she passed. And by talking to him, you can see that, you know, he is still, you can still feel the, the pain. Sometimes in his voice, he may tear up because sometimes the grandmother, and especially within the Black family, especially a young, you know, young Black boys who fathers who may be present, who may be absent, the grandmother is like, <laughs> like who holds it together, right? So you true. know, hey, so true. Yeah, person, my grandma, I miss it to this day. And I can see that Harold is definitely, he misses her. Of course, he loves her so much. But you can just tell some of that's just the hurt and pain inside that he's, he's mm-hmm. still coping with that too, right? Even wow. when I took a portion of him in front of that house, you can see that I think the house is going to be up for sales. You can see the attachment he had growing up in that house, you know, that it was also the meeting place, right, for family. You know what I like yeah. about that? Like, personally, you know, so we're, we're in Philadelphia. I'm born and raised here, and the city is growing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And you just brought up, like, you know, someone's attachment to a physical place and mm-hmm. the physical makeup of it. There's so much changing in the city from day to day. Mm-hmm. And we never account for how people might respond to that emotionally, mentally, traumatically, like all these different ways. And so thank you for highlighting that. That, yeah. that really stood out to me. Bay lives in West Philly. I live in South Philly. And especially with just the sheer amount of gentrification in the last five, 10 years in Philly, and you see people having to move out of mm-hmm. their childhood, you know, their homes that is their family home. And it's like, Obviously, mm. awful for many reasons. That's your life that you're uprooting. But then, yeah, you don't think about like, damn, the mental health. That's yeah. your, yeah, that yeah. connection that you have. And I, I love what you said about the grandparents because it is interesting the way that people react if someone says, I lost a parent versus I lost a grandparent. People seem to think it's a lot less of an effect on you if it's a grandparent. And it's like, I grew Mm -hmm. up with a single mom. My grandmother was my other mom, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's almost like if you did grow up in an environment where your grandparents were very involved, yeah, you go through that process of losing a parent and that trauma many times. So I want to ask, what are some of your final thoughts you hope people take away from your line of work and about men's mental health? Uh, finding a subject of someone that, you know, we can all relate to, even with the other gentleman, uh, Jai, right? You know, single dad, father of, of four children. And the line I would never forget that he says to me is like, Black man, we, we just want, we all want to wake up and be superheroes, right? And I'm just like, well, dang, man, I can relate to that too. Like every day that we wake up, you know, we want to be great and whatever we're doing like we're going to make this a good day right and i think that with black men i think we kind of deal with that inadvertent pressure on ourselves right because when he said that he after that he just started tearing up while he was talking about he just wanted to be a great dad and making sure that he's there for his children he works and making sure that he can still provide for them you know i just want to be great in whatever i do right and i want to kind of succeed and he says every day has to be better than yesterday That's amazing. Thank Mm -hmm. you for the work that you do. Thank you for picking up that camera. Thank you so much for joining us. I love the work that you do. It's so awesome to hear that somebody is out there listening to these stories, like you said, with an open mind and hearing out these people because mental health is health, right? I was just there in Philadelphia a a couple of weeks ago. I was coming through uh, New York and 
a couple of friends of mine, they work at the Inquirer. So I'll give it Denise Keenan and, and Monica Herndon. So not to you know call them out, but I just want to call them out. Shout out to the Inquirer. They're also journalists and also great people. So I mentioned Denise Keenan's name because she called me up one day and speaking of mental health, she was trying to maybe work on a project and she says, what are some of the joys of black men? And it was such a it was such a deep question, right? You know, what are what do we find joy in? Do you have an answer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like my daughter, even though she's 15 now. So, <laughs> you know, I find joy that, that she she brings me joy even probably in my down days. She brightens up my day, may having a bad day, so she makes me laugh. Oh, that's so wonderful. Dad of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much yeah. for your time. Octavio, thank you so much for coming on to So Curious. I really appreciated the conversation around like matriarchs of family and different mm. things like that. That that hit for me because I have a grandmom who's who's getting up there in age, mm. and I love every bit of her. I love the stories that she shares, and so I can only imagine the deep, deep impact of a loss like that, you know. And I'm really grateful to have my grandma. So yeah, you know, shouts out to grandma. Yeah, we love grandmoms. <laughs> <laughs> All of our grandmom listeners, you yeah, rock. Let's go. Our next guest is Grace Malloy. Grace is a licensed clinical social worker. Grace, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on the So Curious podcast. Grace, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, I am Grace Malloy, and I am a therapist in the Philadelphia area. My practice is both virtual and in-person right now, so I have clients really all over Pennsylvania, and I specialize really in working with the queer population, as well as folks with depression and teens who are kind of like going through family conflict. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you for your work. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, really good stuff. So you're a therapist who specializes in queer care. So can you talk about like what that means? Why it's so freaking important for the queer community to be having mental health providers who specialize in that, who get it, all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think a huge piece of it is definitely in the queer population. You do see a lot of higher levels of different mental health issues. And I think a lot of that is due to societal factors and feeling challenged or oppressed or anxious about just kind of being who you are. But I think for myself, my interest really lies in being a queer person myself. So, you know, wanting to provide that space for my clients where they feel like their experience is understood and that they're represented. Yeah. And, you know, you touched on the importance of being who you are, your identity, and like the fact that there has been, like you said, so many more young people who feel comfortable being unabashedly who they are. And can you talk a little bit about what role have you seen identity play in mental health? I think identity is huge in mental health. I think there's in both directions, I think someone's identity in terms of their socioeconomic status, their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, all of those things play a part in how someone experiences the world, which can impact their mental health symptoms. And then I also think on the flip side, some people really do identify with their mental illness. And, you know, there is a lot of research out there around kind of biological factors that contribute to mental illness and genetic factors. 
And so this sense of wanting mental illness to be thought of as along the same realm of other disabilities and wanting that to be something that people can both feel honored around and accommodated. Yeah, no, I love this. I love this. And just to take a quick step back and, you know, we we have a ton of questions for you. What is identity? When Mm. do we develop that? Is it from birth? How do we think of ourselves? You know, walk us through that, that very complex concept of identity. That is a huge question. I mean, an identity is a huge piece of adolescence, like identity formation. Oftentimes, folks will kind of begin to form senses of their identity based off of their environment, their family, friends, whoever the important people are in their lives. But yes, in terms of adolescence, that's really when we see a lot of experimentation around identity and a lot more knowledge around what identity means and how it impacts us. Now, is identity like a fixed thing that just stays, you know, solidified forever or does it grow, evolve, change? Can I be like one person one day and then completely a new person the next? Or does that start to like really delve into like real deep mental illnesses? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think identity can absolutely change. So in terms of thinking about it from the perspective of sexuality and gender, a lot of more of the research and theory now shows that those things exist in a much more fluid way than we Mm. normally think of them. And then I think there is just the sense, too, of identity formation. Like, it takes a while for all of us to figure out who we are and how we identify. And so in that process of figuring that out, there's a lot of, like, grasping for different labels and ways to quickly explain ourselves to others of, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking right now. But that's something that I definitely see for sure and talk with a lot of parents around when teens do come out is this sense of, okay, why is my kid like picking this very, very, very specific label? And how do they know that this is what fits them right now? And how do we know that it won't change? And I think the big piece to that is that you don't necessarily know that, but a lot of the time the labels serve as a way for a kid to kind of quickly express to other people who understand what those labels mean, like how they are thinking of themselves in that moment. And that can change. I'm curious, you know, you work with, like you said, parents and you work with teens. So what does, for our maybe teen listeners or parent listeners who are grappling with identity, gender, sexuality, what does a conversation of mental health and identity in your experience look like between like modern day adults and their modern day teenagers? Yeah, I think there's a huge spectrum in the conversation that I see. There are families that are very willing and able to just kind of jump into these conversations, maybe have some knowledge around gender and sexuality and feel equipped to kind of guide their teens through that. And then there are other families where it is something that is much more conflictual and contentious. And I think that also can have a huge impact on the mental health symptoms that the teen or queer person is presenting with. 
The Trevor Project is a great example. They do research on suicidality and LGBTQ youth, and their research shows overwhelmingly that with the trans population in particular, when their pronouns and their preferred name are honored and used, then suicidality drops significantly. And so those are the pieces that I really bring in because, you know, most of the time when I'm working with families, whether they are accepting of their queer teen or not, they're coming in because they can see that their child is struggling and they want their kid to get help. And so being able to kind of connect around this piece of, hey, this is something that could help your kid is a way to kind of shift the conversation from like, is this real? Is this not real? How do we all have different beliefs around this and focus more on this is something that research shows will be beneficial to your kid. So how does the outside world affect people's relationship with sense of identity? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Will people have strong identities if they just like stayed in the house all the time? I think the outside world plays a huge part in it. I mean, Obviously, it depends on the environment that you grow up in, but there are some folks who like have never met a trans person, have never met a queer person. And so not having that influence, actually for a lot of queer people, if that's your experience growing up, it makes it a lot easier to pathologize your own identity and to think like, oh, there must be something wrong with me because Mm -hmm. everyone else is straight. Everyone else is cisgender. And so there's something wrong with me that I'm not. And, and you so can confirm able... that's not true, right? Like that's just not, no. that's yeah. just not true. No. Far not true. from it. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. no, not at all. No, that notion is the thing that I think oftentimes can be really, really detrimental to folks in the queer community just because there's nothing to be treated mental health wise in terms of your gender and sexuality. That in itself is not a mental illness. It is something that unfortunately has been categorized in that way in the past because of a lot of misunderstanding and oppression related to that identity. But no, I think having environmental factors that kind of expose you to different types of identities can bring a lot more awareness to your own identity as well. Yeah. And so, like, what have you seen as far as what happens when a person is constantly perceived by an identity that they do not identify with? What is that like um, from your perspective? Yeah. Well, that's, I think, a really easy kind of example of that is the experience of being misgendered. Oftentimes, trans folks, they're not perceived as the gender that they identify with especially kind of during the like transition process. And for some, oftentimes like after transitioning as well, because there is, I think, especially non-binary folks can encounter this a lot, kind of this notion of like, okay, we're still breaking this mold of a binary gender and thinking about gender in more inclusive ways. And with that, there's, a lot of people who are not thinking in that way yet. And so you see someone who's non-binary and you try and put them in a specific box. And I think that's the place where absolutely like stress is a huge thing that it causes. You can also think about it in terms of microaggressions. 
every time someone is misgendered, there's a lot of research around microaggressions and stress and the relationship between the two. So really just kind of having all of these experiences where you're being perceived in a different way and this sense of conflict between yourself and the way that others see you just creates a really stressful space. And also, I think for many people, a lot of feelings of depression. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners? Final words. The only thing that I can think of is just overwhelmingly when it comes to all identities in the mental health field, feeling as though you have representation in terms of your treatment team, like your therapist that you're working with, your psychiatrist, that can feel hugely beneficial in just feeling like the people who are working with you understand you and understand your lived experience. That's awesome. That's yeah, thank you so much. Amazing advice. Once again, thanks so much to Grace and Octavio for coming on the show to talk with us. And while we went internal for today's episode, next week we're going external. Next episode is going to be all about how the environment around us impacts our mental health from the physical spaces we live in. And so we had to take into consideration the psycho-emotional impacts of the environment. Two puppies. I do have a five-month-old puppy here at my feet. We're super excited about next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss it. This podcast is made in partnership with Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast production studio. This podcast is produced by Amy Carson and Emily Cherish of Radio Kismet. This podcast is also produced by Joy Matafusco, Jatri Das, and Aaron Armstrong of the Franklin Institute. Head of operations is Christopher Plant. Our assistant producer is Seneca White. Our mix engineer is Justin Berger, and our audio editor is Lauren DeLuca. Our graphic designer is Emma Seeger. And I am Kirsten Go Birds Michelle Sills. <laughs> and I am the Bull Bay. See you next week. Peace.